Hey, this is Al from Omug Comics. Make sure to check out Lenny Vernon Badass Trucker. You can get your hands on it at just about any Omaha and Lincoln comic book store. Otherwise, follow Omug Comics on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for our website. Link, subscribe, and like. And make sure you keep on trucking. Fifth day of Christmas, Moose brought to me. Production designer and special effects artist Mick Strawn's five horror icons. Freddy Krueger, Leatherface, Candyman, Critters, and Buffy. Happy holidays, horror hounds, and welcome to Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. I'm Moose, your bearer of gifts, and my gift to you on this auspicious occasion, is a gift of design. So please help me welcome production designer and fellow podcast host, Mr. Mick Strawn. Hey, how's it going out there? But uh, Suspicious occasion? Suspicious, auspicious. Okay. Okay. Oh, oh, auspicious. Yeah. <laughs> it's Thank a horror God. show. It can be suspicious. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, uh, you know what? I'm going to I'm going to stick back to my interpretation of it. Suspicious. <laughs> this this is all very suspicious. Suspicious minds. <laughs> so how's it going? Very superstitious. Pretty good. Pretty good, you know? Uh yeah, I, I can't complain. I, I I I could. I was trained in it, but um I don't really have to right now. So I was a kid once I grew up complaining. Complainer? Yeah. Whiner? Yeah. Yeah, I actually just I, I I, I didn't I didn't say much for a long time and then when I started talking uh, it just hasn't stopped. Isn't that the problem with all kids? Yeah, you know it's like sit down and shut up. Uh, it, it, it it's like oh when's little Johnny gonna speak and uh, and why does he just lie down there on the floor and then you know like a year later it's sit down shut up you little shit. It's like I want you to talk so much now please shut up. <laughs> So. Just, just. <laughs> I want five minutes. Give me five minutes of quiet, kid. Yeah, five minutes. Ah, oh, would stop peeing on the furniture. <laughs> I so, didn't think I got a cat. So, <laughs> before we get into uh, the movies and things, why don't you uh, tell people what a uh, production designer does? Because that, that's oh. kind of a just like an umbrella, vague. I'm production designer term. Yeah, <laughs> it's. You know, it's not. Uh, production design, oddly enough, is uh, – I'm going to give you a, an exaggerated uh, description of production design, and then you'll kind of understand the different degrees of it. First of all, every film that you look at is production design. You just don't know it. Um, but I'll give you an obvious one. Uh, how about Batman? Okay, Batman, everything looks a certain way. Everything – feels a certain way right and each one is a little is different and that's because of the overall production design of it and production design can be several different things but um the production there's a reason the production designer is right next to the director because the production designer is the one that gives it the feel he's kind of in charge of of combining the lighting with the sets with the locations with the uh props with the special effects with the uh wardrobe and making them give an overall feel and then it's his job to make that remain that way all the way through it um but the production designer is also better known as the the person who uh who's main purview is the art direction in other words uh the what the sets and the locations uh and, and the set dressings and the props and, and and wardrobe look like 
So why don't they just call you the Feng Shui Master? Feng Shui. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> You're like, no. Please don't. Oh, listeners, I, mean, I wish it... you could see his face. <laughs> <laughs> that, that hang of the head. That, uh, yeah, no. Uh, you know, the thing is, is uh, uh, different production designers have different strengths. Uh, different things that they're uh, looking after, and and therefore, therefore they tend towards su- particular films. I mean, I, I've done a lot of horror films and a lot of action films and sci-fi films, primarily because that's my look, and and I tie together. I mean, I know horror really well. I know I know um, effects really well, so that I can combine my knowledge of effects and what horror has to look like to give, to kind of give you the whole story. Let's put it that way. So you you come from a construction background. How do you go from construction to art and set dressing? I, you know, it's kind of just a, a, a method to it. The one thing that I did and that made me a production designer was I came from construction. And, and the funny thing is, is that in construction, you can, especially if you're a, a, a carpenter, uh, after a while, everything is carpentry. You know, if you were to go and do plumbing, you would have all these things that were in common with plumbing that you would already learn that you would carry on to plumbing. Right. You know, like measuring things and cutting them, uh, understanding what what structure is and you know beans as you peed before uh, you would know that uh that shit and piss has to go downhill so we combined all those things into being able to be a plumber well i just kept going that way (laughs) 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 and worked myself up into production design and i have to tell you the honest truth i worked in effects uh also as as well as in construction and i was coordinating effects because I know how to work with people and, and not not how as much how to work with people as to have a group of people and inspire them and know who needs to do what in order to get things done. Uh, I have a very – if I designed something, usually I knew – at least I knew I could do it. <laughs> I never designed things that couldn't be done or couldn't be done for the budget. You know, It, it was part of my nature to put it all together – you know, all together in one big capsule. And I learned this. I learned in production design that the more I found out about other people's departments, the easier my job became. In other words, if I wasn't, if I was making sets that the grips could put equipment in, that the lighting could get access to to uh, lighting spots, that the camera could be uh, could actually do the things that not only the DP, but I wanted the camera to do. If I made all those things easier, or if I made the path easier that I wanted it to go so that I could, yeah. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I had a director who's just this complete dickhead on this film called um, Fever, right? Yeah. And he was he was he was he was an old editor, you know, and he he was like he was like uh, somewhere between seventy five and a hundred or a thousand, you know, <laughs> and 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 he was always smoking this cigar, cigar, and 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 to him everybody's just a piece of shit. Hey, you shit, you fucking, you know what? I I I hired you, you know, why I hired you because I always thought you was a because you're a meat and potatoes guy. And I thought it'd be really, really easy to to fuck with a meat and potatoes guy. I mean, this guy literally handed me a a list of, hey, Mac, Mac, hey, come here. Listen, uh, all these locate these uh, shitty fucking locations and shit that you want to come up with. Uh, uh, here's a list of all my favorite restaurants. Uh, just just make sure that uh, that I, I, I can go eat lunch uh, at one of these restaurants every fucking day. Right. Jeez. Yeah, he was a dick. But but the really funny thing is, is at the end of the film, he goes, well, how was that? I didn't even need you, you shit. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I was going, oh, really? I, I tell you. So you picked everything yourself and you, you, put, your own you put it all lunch. together. Yourself. 
Like, this is great. This is great. I said, you picked everything yourself, huh? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I go, well, how, how did that work? Well, you know, the guy had come up with a, uh, the, the location shit would uh, just bring me up a, a folder, and the folder would have like four or five choices in it. I go, really, huh? Yeah. Were three of them, were three or four of them so fucking bad you couldn't even imagine? Like, a, like if it was a train station, would two of them be uh, uh, track houses in Van Nuys, and one of them would be a warehouse somewhere in, uh, uh, somewhere in downtown? He goes, yeah. And then the, the, the last one would be the perfect train station. He go, yeah. yeah. I said, well, who the fuck you think made the fucking folders, you asshole? <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was kind of, yeah, fuck that guy. Ah, <laughs> uh, the early 90s. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know you know the thing is is this is that is if you didn't do things with a little flare of, of drama nobody gave a shit so you kind of learned to lean towards the dramatic <laughs> yeah at least you remember he'd remember you <laughs> yeah that's right you know, always leave a mark yeah that's you know that's, that's I said, you know what? If you're gonna break the, if you're gonna break into the bank anyway, you better leave a pretty goddamn big hole. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, yeah. look at, you, you, your thoughts on theater aside. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> did you uh, do any like when you were in high school? Did you uh, help out in like the drama department or anything like that, doing set design or? Here's the weird thing. When I was in high school, I was the photographer geek, right? Yeah, you know, everybody everybody in high school was one type of geek or another, right? Yeah. And and my geek was pretty specific. I mean, I was one of two guys that just ran around the high school with a camera and took pictures and went back and developed them in the little black and white lab, you know, and 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 that's that's what I did, you know? So, coming from that background, I think that I then one of my first jobs was to work at a university at when I got out of high school. And I was in college, and while I was in college, a university across town, I got hired as a job to to work as a morgue photographer. Now, in, in, in a school setting, a morgue photographer is the guy that takes pictures of, of the autopsies that the students do off of the donated bodies. Wow. Yeah. And um, I did that for about three months, and then I was like, you know what? I don't need to do this anymore. And and I gave up photography. And then later on, I I kind of created stuff to to you know be. Uh, I, I went the other way. Hey man, I just went the other way. I thought my aunt had a weird hobby. Yeah, <laughs> my aunt had this photo album. It was of people in their coffins. Just, really? Just their final picture. And it was always just th that, that picture of them, just that, that final resting image. It was just like, why? What? <laughs> what did what she is think, wrong with did, you? <laughs> did she put googly eyes on them or something? No, she just, See, I, I want to remember would them. That. That, would be, that would be interesting. You know, yeah, you googly know, eyes, put a spring in the back, let them sit up, you know. Do something. <laughs> but no, it was just, she had albums of... Like every funeral wow. she went to, she'd take a picture of the deceased and goes in the album, goes in the album. It's like weird. I when when I was working and when I was working in the 80s, I'm not going to tell you the show because uh, he might he might find out. I mean, not that I really care one way or the other, but uh, this guy had a. He goes, uh, he's a first AD. He said, no, he was a second AD at the time. Right. And he's like the kind of the guy that like brings one of his job is to bring the extras, you know, on, onto the set. And uh, he collected uh, Polaroids of their cooches. Oh, oh. Uh, you, you talk about your uh, heavy duty uh, Me Too <laughs> moments. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, why exactly? What? 
could possibly possess you to do that. <laughs> hmm. So, yeah, he didn't show it to me twice. So. <laughs> but that one doesn't see the light of day right now. Yeah, boy. <laughs> you know, I, I'll tell you one thing is he just recently got his first uh, directing gig. Hmm. And I thought, wow, you know, that's that's a little bombshell I could drop. <laughs> you you've you've worked on many a film many a film <laughs> um, many a film many a, you, you you know what i've noticed and this is a really strange thing i've had a lot of friends uh in the business and so forth and i don't think that anybody worked on quite as many films that that people of a particular genre uh remember you know, I mean, you have it, a lot of culty films. Yeah, a lot of a lot of films that are popular today. You know, because because those films are popular. Yeah, uh, across the board, whether it's in horror, sci-fi, fantasy, <laughs> fantasy, um, cheese, uh, porn. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, Wait, did, I missed porn. Hold on. No, Paul. Who was Paul Thomas? Oh, who? What the hell was the name of the? Uh, show, um, Boogie Nights. Oh, yeah. <laughs> missed that one. <laughs> you missed Boogie Nights. <laughs> you were art director on Kazam. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you- the, the, it, it, it doesn't get much cultier than Kazam. I mean, <laughs> it, it, that, that definitely has its own audience. It, it does in a weird way. I, my... My daughter, at the time of Kazam, when I was doing the art direction, my daughter um, was just getting to be about 17 or 18, right? And uh, and she needed her first job. And so we came up with a problem is that we had this uh, shower of candy bars, right? Yeah. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to do it practically. We were inside of a this enormous warehouse that this junky looking warehouse that, that they had built a little bicycle track in. Right. And, uh, and so we, uh, we came up with the idea that we would make it rain candy bars and we would actually make it rain candy bars. And so <laughs> where there was a, like a lot of discussion about, well, should we use real candy bars but the problem with that is that if you start raining real candy bars down on people, you know, if you get a good number of them, that could it, be really painful. And hurt. I can tell you why is because I tested it. <laughs> and it's, I mean, beyond being painful, it's just fucking annoying. <laughs> I don't know. I'd kind of like to see Shaq dodging candy bars now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's, <laughs> and at the time he was such a kid. I mean, he was, he, he was, uh, I got, I got a few Shaq stories, but, but anyway, the thing is, is that the candy bars, I had my daughter get together like uh, 20 of her friends and we rented a little warehouse for her <laughs> and she, and she spent a month stuffing little tiny pieces of foam into empty, <laughs> uh, into empty candy bar wrappers. We bought all these candy bar wrappers. I, I mean, we bought them from the factory, so they didn't have candy bars in them. But but that was their job, and then they had to then they had to hot glue the ends back together, and they did thousands. I mean, thousands of them. I mean, I, I, I what I'm telling you, it, in order to get them uh, to set, you know, everything became a big deal because they were so big that that you know they'd all be put in trash cans and and or trash bags right and they had to be filled to a certain extent so the effects guys could get up and put them in in uh, snow machines uh you, you know like yeah. filtering snow th- that's what they were in in order to make them come down right <laughs> and, and oh god it was such a process it was amazing the amount of work that they did <laughs> but but think about that think that, there's one you didn't they you never thought about is that you know there was actually a factory to make all those little things. foam candy bars little foam candy bars my my daughter's you know Kelly's first factory <laughs> <laughs> little candy sweatshop 
Yeah, well, the candy slice up. <laughs> Kelly and the Chocolate Factory. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you have Hercules and uh, Fantastic Four, too. Did, did Hercules involve miniatures as well, or was that CGI and... Uh... No, we no. you know what? A, a lot of that was practical. In fact, I'll, t- I'll tell you, I, I, I'll tell you the most incredible thing is is all there was there were two giant sequences uh in, in in that i filmed um one of which was a giant going through the village and we did it with no no cgi no uh no blue screen nothing like that we just we we filmed it real and live and we did it by uh uh, force perspective and um, and uh, camera positioning and uh, slowing slowing down from like instead of going uh, 24 frames a second every time that we had the giant on screen he was uh, being filmed at between 30 and 40 frames a second. Actually, you know the sequence you're talking about. And uh, like when he li- lifts up the roof. Yeah. Lifts up the roof, and then when he lifts up that roof, you know, like that. That's that's all filmed at at different speeds, and that was a miniature. And um, yeah, uh, and when he falls, you know, you put a little dust down, and and he falls on a small recreation of the ground that fades into the rest of the ground, so that he could fall right in front of a building, and it would it would look like he was ten times bigger than the building. That was one way to do it. The other way we did it was the Prometheus shot. When uh, Prometheus the giant is talking down to uh, Hercules, uh, and Hercules is talking up to him like this, that was done live. Hmm. It was uh, an old process called the Shifton process, which uh, you've probably seen on Metropolis, if you're a fan. Yes. Uh, Okay. You know where the dials are going like this and the big gears are around like Going yeah. around, around that—that that was all done uh, in camera uh, with the shifting process. And what you do is you look. You know when they say it's done with mirrors, this is the perfect example of it's done with mirrors, because what you do is you get the bottom of the set in its large scale, and you have small Hercules walk up to the feet of, of Prometheus. And you do these huge boots, right? Yeah. But then from the top part of the set, you put that in in uh, eighth scale over here. And you put a mirror that looks at that. And you make sure that there everything is in scale and every distance is calculated, right? The camera to the to the mirror. And then you literally, and I got to do this, is got got down there, took a monitor around and back that that showed the camera and I scraped it so that I could reveal the large scale set on the bottom of the mirror and the small scale set looking at the other set so that Prometheus is facing this way and Hercules is facing that way, but they're 45 feet apart when, when the mirror brings them to look like they're right neck that like they're face to face. And this is in eighth scale eight times larger than Hercules is. And so they would talk to monitors that were off screen and, and on the monitor, they would see the, the other character. Bet you never thought you'd use that much math in your life. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Oh yeah. You know, we were laying it all out. Uh, and, and, uh, it's like, it was like laying it out. And then all of a sudden the logic of it comes to you and you go, Oh God, I get it. now. <laughs> you know, it's, I get it now. And, and it's funny because there were people that didn't get it. And one of them was the DP because the DP comes in the DP goes, okay, well let's smoke it up. And I said, well, wait a minute. I said, I know that you're not going to believe this, but if you smoke it up, you're going to be looking at the smoke in two different scales. Because the smoke going from here to the main stage 
is going to be in one scale and the smoke going back that way is going to be in the eighth scale. So I think it's going to look different. And it did. (laughs) (laughs) The smoke totally revealed where the cut line was, you know, I was like, wow, that's now there's one you didn't think would happen. right? (laughs) The downfall (laughs) of smoke and mirrors. That's right. (laughs) You can, you know what the, the, the motto of the story is, is you can have smoke or you can have mirrors, but you can't have smoke and mirrors. <laughs> so you've worked on two of the top four horror franchises. You know, the top four being Halloween, uh, Nightmare, no, no. Uh, Friday. Oh, right, right. The four. And, uh, I, I consider it the four. But you've been part of Texas Chainsaw and uh, Nightmare. Yeah. And uh, I did a fan film. That's going to get to that here in a little bit. So, yeah, it's okay. now part of you. You've now been in three of the four. <laughs> <That's> so, <right. laughs> you know, that's funny. I, I, you know, for the most part, I thought I was the only one that thought of it that way. <laughs> well, three of the four. Yeah, I mean, you got Candyman on the, you know, outside there, but it's, it's right. W- w- when you think horror, especially from that, well, that decade, really there's four names that came to mind and that was Jason, Freddy, Michael, and uh, Leatherface. Those four names pretty much epitomized horror in late seventies to early nineties. Right. And and there were so many people playing all those roles that uh, they did then create the ability for the uh, conventions to have 20 conventions going on in in any one given weekend. Oh yeah. (laughs) I mean, there are conventions you can go to now where you can meet three Jasons. Right. That's right. You know, it's like, oh, cool. Sweet. You know. (laughs) But yeah, Nightmare uh, 4 is probably one of the best of the series. That's what I've always thought. I'll I'll explain something to you. I think think 3 was probably the best of the series, but I think 4 is just more fun to watch. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It, four, you can watch any little piece of four. You know how like um, like there are films that there are films that everybody can watch just little pieces of. Uh, I'll give you an example. For me, it's Galaxy Quest. I can watch any little piece of Galaxy Quest and just get a laugh out of it. Right? Yeah. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street Four is kind of like that way because there's just so many really cool segments of it. Yeah, so it, it makes a perfectly segmented, like you said, segmented movie. Where you can go through and it, like, it, it it's on TV a lot. Well, yeah, a lot <laughs> pre you know everyone cutting the cable cord, but right. you know you just turn it on. You're like, okay, I know where we're at. Yeah, <laughs> you, you, you get a chuckle, get a kill, and you're you're right into the movie. It's one you could right. just pick up and run with. It's and- not one you had to really be invested in from right. the very exactly. start. The and it was a and here's the thing. There's reasons for that. I mean, uh, we were in the middle of a writer's strike. A lot of the crew was coming up with a lot of the ideas. I came up with the idea of the uh, of the kaleidoscope shot, being as I had a dream that Freddie was looking at me in, in a kaleidoscope. And so then I came up with the tubes that uh, I I came up with that, and uh, and I came up with the uh, truck that hits nothing. Nice. <laughs> that's part of the reason that it was fragmented was because we started with an outline and and there was never a great deal of cohesion between everything we had to leave it pretty fractional so that so that we could get our job done by coming up with ideas and concepts that maybe weren't writerly part of everything but they were visually part of everything you know what I'm saying? So four almost could have been done as like a Freddy anthology. It could have, it could have really could have. <laughs> and that would have been really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but it's but in the end, in the end, it is by far one of the best looking. Oh yeah. Uh, I hate to say that because that's that's my fault. Um, I mean the come on the junkyard. That junkyard took us literally seven weeks to put together. It was so big, and 
every possible piece of earthlifting equipment you can imagine was used to put all that together. I believe it. Uh, yeah. And and there's there's a couple of things that people don't understand is that it was built off of a model so that we could get those streams of light coming across it. You have to think of it this way. Th think of this. Think of one of our main and, and this is another production designer thing. One of our main conceits was that the lighting, the the DP came up with this great idea for lighting. He wanted these streams of light crossing the path. So so anytime you're looking at it, you're not looking at the source of a light. You're looking at uh, a light that's, you know, 100 feet away that's coming to you from, from one mirror to the other to the other. Okay, so you see the, the beam of the light, right? Yeah. And, and that gave it a very interesting look. I mean, when you were looking at the house, the house was a facade because part of the reason was because we couldn't get that light coming out of it look without having distance behind it that had a that was free and clear so we're shooting lights from you know 75 to 100 feet back through the house in order in order to give you that look of beams coming out of the house that doesn't happen naturally no and the same thing was in the junkyard the same thing was in the junkyard and i had to make a pattern I have a I have a book that I wrote uh, called Behind the Screams. Here it is, right here. This is Behind the Screams, and yeah, it explains I need to get a copy of that book. <laughs> it explains everything, how we did everything. I it's got all these great interviews and stuff in it, uh, and all these great pictures. But the idea was that that the junkyard didn't have anything right behind any one given row of cars. It had space so that we could light it correctly, right? So when you're looking at it, it looks like it's got this huge depth and everything, but it doesn't ever really. It's just one row of cars, maybe with a, a second row of cars kind of put along the top in places so that it looks like it has that depth. Every, every shot was really lined up, and, and it was built off of a model that was also being used by the guys who were doing the uh, model for the shot of coming up. And there's a great there's a great chapter in here all all about me arguing with the guys that did the optical because they didn't want to give me a world. <laughs> they I said it's a world. You know, I want it to come up and up because the first time they brought it to me, they brought it to to me and it comes up and it looks like just a really big junkyard and I said, "Well, guys, that's that's great, but at no point, even in the storyboards, at no point does it say Freddy walked around in a really big junkyard. That's not the idea. It said planet. It said planet because I want it to be a motherfucking planet. <laughs> and so so then they brought it to me again, and it was just a bigger junkyard, right? And finally, I was like, dude, his name was Hoyt. Oh, God, he was a hateable creature. I mean, he just... He was he most optical effects people are uh, snotty and they think that they know better than you because they know optical effects. Right. Yeah. You know? And they're nerds and geeks at the same time. I mean, I'm a nerd, but come on. I've always thought to myself that uh, one of the things that a good uh, uh, a good optical effects uh, artist needs is a good case of Asperger's. So anyway. <laughs> So anyway, I finally, uh, finally, I'm donating out of my budget to this guy as he gets further and further and further up. And then finally, I I'm in his office and, and I go, dude, and I started to draw circles in his office, right? You know, like all over the place, on the walls, <laughs> on the door. Suck fucking circle, man. I mean, I'm not kidding. I want it to be a planet. And and he's spending my money now. I'm like like 30000 into the motherfucker and all I get is this big square. I'm going, God. Damn it. I said so circle, it, not square, jackass. And, and, here's the, and here's his answer. He goes, Mick, Mick, you don't understand. Here's the thing. You have to understand if we started pulling away from Earth and we kept pulling away. Do you know how long we would keep pulling away before it looks like a planet? And then I was like, 
wait, 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 wait. You're talking physics? You're talking physics to me. You're saying that we would have to keep pulling out for like a 20-minute shot because of actual motherfucking physics. And I, in a dream world... Created by Freddy fucking Krueger. You really? Wow. Is, it, is, is, is that what this is all about? That's what this is all about. I'm not kidding. I swear to God. I was like, okay, you know what? Just make it motherfucking round. Okay. I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances that somebody's going to call me up and go, Mick, you know, uh, yeah, I'm almost a hundred percent sure that you didn't pull back far enough uh, in order to make that look like a planet. We're dealing with yeah. a guy who ass fucking burgers, goddammit. <laughs> We're dealing with a character who only exists in people's fucking dreams. <laughs> and the hang-up, the hang-up is is science. <laughs> we want to make sure. We get the camera angle just right so we don't offend science, science. nerds. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, that, that was the case. That was, uh, that was the case. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, ouch. You know, that's the, that's, that's the kind of thing that leaves marks, you know? <laughs> I mean, of all the things to nitpick over, it, <laughs> the physics are wrong on this shot. Really? Yeah, the physics are wrong. Really? You, you mean, oh, you mean we got the physics wrong in this dream? This guy dream hops, yeah. and <laughs> we might not pull the camera back far enough? Piss off. <sighs> yeah, it was, uh, yeah. But, you know, the thing is, is you got to learn either how to work people or Fool them. <laughs> you work with people, or you just bullshit them and 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 move around them. You know, like Rommel. Rommel got this great reputation literally by just going around people. Oh, I mean, yeah. he's the first one that he's the first one that ever thought to himself, you know what? I've got these tanks here, and instead of just going into the army that's just standing right in front of me. I'm just going to go around. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great fucking idea, right? <laughs> Why go through them? Let's Why through them? Why go through them? Screw you know it. I could get, I could get my jumpers, you know, all muddy that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going around. <laughs> I, I love it when there's people that just really figure it out. You know? <laughs> they're just like a clue. A clue, a clue. <laughs> when, when, uh, when that light bulb just finally turns on and says, yeah, just, "Hey, hey!" Like that very first time hey, when hey. Our, our armies changed from meeting, you know, in two lines in the field, in two lines, right? And they're like, "Hey, this isn't fucking working," hey, you know? Yeah, you know, this is, you know it, it, it. It's like it's like some of the unsung heroes of our time, like. The guy that, the guy that put the new lids on ketchup, so that you could put the ketchup upside down in your fridge. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have to ask yourself, well, how long did that take? <laughs> <laughs> the unsung hero, <laughs> and nobody knows his name, and nobody knows his name. Poor guy. You know what? You know what? We've got we've got the tomb of the unknown soldier. I want the t <laughs> call on it now. <laughs> Screw the Snatter cut. I want the tomb of the uh, unknown uh, ketchup bottle guy. There you go. I want the I want that guy. <laughs> Release the ketchup bottle guy. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Well, what can I say? <laughs> Yeah, it's been a long, it's, what a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> it's been a long fucking year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been a long year. <laughs> and uh, it's been a long year. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, yeah, I was there. <laughs> what did you think about the third one? Bias aside, because you worked on it. I thought it was, 
I thought it was one of the closest to the original uh, overall feel, especially Jeff Burr's actual cut of it. I think it was it, it was amazing that it's the one it, it's the one that uh, that was definitely not done in Texas, and and still looks uh, more like Texas than uh, at least three quarters of them. Um, Everything was built for that, including the gas station was built from scratch. Jesus Christ. You know? uh, the house was built from scratch, the little hut, you know, all that. Even the even the uh, the rivers in the woods were, were, were made uh, from scratch, all the way down to like uh, putting the southern style moss from, from Texas all over the place. Actually, we cheated a little bit. That was more of a Louisiana type of moss, but, you know. Green's nobody's, green. Nobody's called. Nobody's called me on that one yet. <laughs> Give it time. Yeah, well, get to the physics know. of the grass. Hey, hey, listen, as a production designer, <laughs> having having done Nightmare on Elm Street three and just completely changed the way that we did everything, uh, I got my I got my share of shit. <laughs> and on four, you, you changed know, physics on four. I, <laughs> Evidently, <laughs> little did I know. <laughs> what did you think of four or uh, three? I liked it. It, it. it had that like classic, like grittier feel. That grittier feel, yeah. You know, you, you know, one of the things that we were trying to do is is trying to trying to get that feeling, and it's very difficult with uh, with DPS to get that really rough and ready feeling. They they just can't. They want to paint. They want to paint pretty pictures. It's just what they do. You know, so it doesn't work in horror. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it doesn't work. It's like pretty lighting doesn't work in horror. Uh, that that was all, to me. That was always the downfall of uh, uh, Freddy's Nightmares. Is uh, it was too bright. Well, it was too bright, but it was it was lit by a guy who came from daytime TV. Mm. Say so, yeah, a lot more under lighting and just under and backlighting. I think works better in horror because you get yeah no, you can no, play absolutely. with the shadows and they they hung coops they literally hung coops you know what a coop is yeah a coop is they used to they hung coops over the uh over the uh sets and and we used to sabotage those fucking things all the time <laughs> we used to i mean you have we used to take clear tape and wrap it around the pins and then put it back together <laughs> Which that's a motherfucker because man, the thing is, is then they'd get in, in the morning and we would make sure it was after they pre-light, right? And then they'd all go away and they'd come back in the morning and like nothing at work. And they go, God damn, all the coops are out again. Uh shit. We're gonna have to send them back. Well, we'll just go ahead and just shoot it now. Shoot a different way. Shoot yes. it a different way. It, it's like, yes, all right. But you no, know, no, it's I, I gotta tell you something, is clear tape it was my friend in so many cases over the years. You know, because sometimes you just can't get there, you know, in the traditional way. <laughs> so you just fucking cheat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, see, that's one of the fun things about, like, set building and things like that is finding the way around it and still getting the desired outcome you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, the more you do it, the more you find that there are so many cheats that you can do. To get your desired effect. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have to work. On face value, <laughs> you know, at, at, at face level, it looks like it's going to be this, like, grandiose project that you're undertaking. And at the end of the day, you're like, well, that wasn't shit. What the fuck was yeah. I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> I remember I remember uh, when we were – we did, like, 330 sets on, uh, on uh, Freddy's Nightmares. And I remember one time uh, – a friend of mine, Jerry Olson, who directed one of them, I think, is a producer, but slash director. He came out on the set one time, and we were uh, we didn't have any time left, and we had this mausoleum that we were making. And so, so instead of scenic painting them, we literally uh, went to the store and got contact paper. <laughs> yeah, and just just recovering everything with contact paper. You know, just as he gets gets on for his directing prep, and he goes. Uh, I get called and say, Mick, I, I, I don't know what you're doing here. This is, uh, th this looks like shit. <laughs> I, go, oh. I go, yeah, it sure does, doesn't it? 
Hey, take those Technicolor dreams of yours and shrink them down into a 19-inch Sony and let's get this thing shot. And <laughs> and, and he goes, he's, he goes in dailies the next day. He goes, God, I don't know how it is that you understand why, why that would work. <laughs> because what you see in real time and real life, yeah. when you drop that down. It was like, to me, literally, I have bought thousands of rolls of uh, shelf paper in my life and i have never put them on my shelves no <laughs> never never because <laughs> the thing you have to remember is for a detail that small to show up you oh. have to make it exaggerated and blown up right. or exactly. you're gonna lose it i mean the questions that i have and part of the reason that i wanted to do um vengeance was to see with the more modern cameras how much that was still true, uh, how much of, of your detail uh, needs to be exaggerated. And, it, and it, it's true that to a certain extent it has reduced quite a bit. But nowadays it, it's down to lighting. And the thing is, is so few people know how to actually light anymore. <laughs> it's, I mean, there are very few really big professionals that are that are that are uh, lighting, you know, things that are uh, being done by amateurs. But uh, there's certainly a lot of things that uh, amateurs could learn is, for instance, you know, when you're shooting outside, this is one thing I definitely notice is, is that everybody leaves everything dark all the time now, you know, dark doesn't mean dark anymore it means black and it's better if you actually get a few lights out there and expose it more and then take it down in post and it will give you a richness of black or a richness of dark as opposed that, to that obnoxious glare you get when it's just black yeah or that 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 obnoxious kind of uh grain effect yeah that 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 you get now it, it's i'm just so tired of it i just can't see shit you know you just cannot i say it, when, it, when, it, when the screen goes dark you're like okay i'm not gonna see shit for five minutes that's awesome yeah it's like you know how everybody really got i didn't see um game of thrones but but when everybody got pissed off about it being black too black i was like yeah hello <laughs> there's a lesson for everybody yeah. in there you know everything's just gotten too black you know i so say you can there is such thing as making it too fucking dark yes you know we used to cheat these things you know i i, I give a great example of people is i have a film that i'm coming up with i'm gonna direct starting this summer and and one of the things that i that, that I'm looking for is a DP that can can light like um, Evil Dead 2. Ooh. Which felt dark, but it wasn't. It felt dark, but you could see things. Because <laughs> it had ambient light. Right. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> and, you know, which you know exists what? in nature and in real hey. fucking life. <laughs> You know, it's funny. Is I always meet these DPs that that go, well, yeah, because there's no light out here because there's no light, and I go, well, <laughs> you know, our our department can kind of help with that too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look, a shed's got a lamp on the side of it. <laughs> Just bring the what's, flaps in a little bit. Look, what's it's a little darker. Well, and then the and then the DP goes to you goes, well, Mick, what's the what's the motivation uh, behind the shed with the light on it? And I go, well, that you wanted to see their faces. I want to know who's playing victim A. I want to know who's playing victim B. I want to know who's coming out of that fucking shed to kill those two sorry sons of bitches. Hey, look, I, I want to answer that great question. Was it a hooker or a biker? <laughs> It was a hook and biker. It was a hook and biker. Well, but I want to know that. <laughs> People are paying to watch this damn movie. Instead, right. we're going to give them a dark scene with screams. Yes, that's right. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want some smoke in here. Why? <laughs> you can't see shit anyway. Yeah, you can't see shit. <laughs> 
Maybe the smoke will help. <laughs> yeah, you shadows. Can see the smoke, maybe we'll give them shadows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's a little. That's a. Hey, yeah, I've been doing like a. Uh, it kind of seems like a little set play by play going on here lately. Ah, well, anyway, you know, all these things are different. All these interviews are different. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think I've ever, I don't think that I've ever before called an entire form of effects people um, <laughs> autistic with Asperger's before. But you know what? I think it's going to stick. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the things, like, I'll watch, you know, it, it, when I'm doing my research, I'll go through, I'll check out other interviews and things like that. And I'll, I'll look for questions that have been asked hundreds of times and it's like okay if i can avoid that question avoid that question if i can't avoid it how do i rephrase it <laughs> you know how do i get you know like okay I, you know i'd imagine you, you know obviously you talk about freddie a lot how, you yeah. know how do you get to that without you know doing the so you worked on a nightmare on elm street <laughs> tell me about that Tell you me know, about that. Yes. Well, so it's it's all about finding how to get there. And wait, 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 wait. It's it's like a Trump voter. All all you're doing is looking for triggers. <laughs> Dude, there you go. <laughs> Why don't you tell us a little bit about your podcast and oh, uh, then your book and where to find your stuff? Oh, okay. Uh, let's see. I have a couple of podcasts. Uh, I have Dream Warrior Review, which is a, a, a friend of mine and uh, from Washington, and I uh, uh, punish uh, different uh, movies. Uh, we, well. we watch we watch a movie together, and then we punish it for like twenty minutes or so. It's a lot of fun. It just gives us an opportunity to to laugh about. Uh, you know, this and that. And the next thing, uh, there there are a lot of movies. There are a lot of moments called uh, Story Time with Mick, um, which is just stupid stories that I tell about <laughs> stupid things I'm I've done. You know, and and I think that if you listen to this podcast, you would understand what Story Time with Mick is about. Um, the other thing that I do is uh, is called Rabbit Hole. And rabbit hole is a lot of fun. Rabbit hole. We try and interview somebody, like kind of whoever I, I want uh, to let you know is we just interviewed uh, Dario Russo, and if you don't know who Dario Russo is, uh, then you need to watch uh, something called uh, Italian Spider Man, or Danger Five. Hmm. Uh, it's it, it's an Australian company that does these wild ass, uh, you know you know what I'm just gonna leave that right there. But just but these wild asses, <laughs> wild asses. Yes, yes. Well, you know they. I I wish I could describe what Italian Spider Man is like, but it's pretty funny. It's really funny, and so Danger Five is really funny. Is it's like a combination of every '60s um, trope. Uh, basically, what they do is they line up every 60s trope that they ever wanted to spoof, you know, like um, the Thunderbirds, uh, Man from Uncle, I Spy, uh, you know, all uh, Roger Moore films. Uh, they line all those up. And it's a it's a group from Australia uh, that did Italian Spider-Man. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I- anyway, you know, it's it, it, they just come in for an interview and it's kind of like this. Um and uh, me and TJ uh, laugh with them and then laugh at them. <laughs> uh, the, the, the next thing that I've got is uh, I've got a book called Behind the Screams. Uh, you can get a hold of me. Just just get a hold of uh, – it, it's a challenge to, to get one of these books, which is fine with me. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I don't a, think I, I've ever heard that pitch before. It's hard to get this book. I'm okay with that, but it's fucking. It's hard to get this book. It's sort of an anti pitch, is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's a. It, it's the thing. It's the one collectible thing from Nightmare on Elm Street for nobody knows that they need. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's it's a book about Nightmare on Elm Street four. It's called Behind the Screams. Right now, I'm working on Behind the Screams three. 
which is all about Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Uh, people ask me, you know, where's number two? And I I, I have to say that uh, just like New Line Cinema, I, I, I'm, unlike New Line Cinema, I'm going to forget the second one. Just make it a picture book. <laughs> bad picture book. <laughs> oh, a bad picture. Oh, that's great. Nightmare on Elm Street, the bad picture book. And it's just film films on film pieces on set from like when the camera was down, you know, when you're putting the film in the first three shots in there, uh, you know, uh, po- Polaroid pictures, yeah, <laughs> Polaroid pictures of the ceiling. <laughs> you know, uh, like pictures of fake Freddy showing up in a Toyota. Uh, <laughs> So scary. Okay. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> That's the thing true nightmares are made of. <laughs> That'd be a great book, actually. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, you, uh, what you need to do is you need to get a hold of me on Facebook and then just um, just DM me and 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 <laughs> there's a process. You have to go through a test. Uh, you have to know the mating proclivities of a certain type of pigeon, <laughs> and you may get well, you may get a book eventually. <laughs> and the airspeed velocity of a yeah, it's exactly exactly a... <laughs> <laughs> of an African swallow of, an Afri- of the African uh, yeah, near nesting swallow. Yes, that's it. <laughs> so we can find uh-huh. you on Facebook. Yes. Listeners, you can find me and other great podcasters on Electronic Media Collective. Where can we find your podcast? Um, if you go to louder.com, louder group, uh, we're, we're all, all within, you know, Gore and Moore is, is one of the other ones in louder group. Um, I, I think personally, Rabbit Hole is the banner of louder, uh, uh, projects, but, uh, but that's just my opinion. Just, just, just like I think uh, all you know, uh, everybody who works in uh, special effects uh, optical is autistic. <laughs> I, you know, if there's one thing that you need to learn right here on this podcast, Aspergers, <laughs> <laughs> look it up. <laughs> it's well worth it. Well worth it. <laughs> Check me out on Twitter at uh, Moose Media Inc. Mick, thanks for uh, coming by and shooting shit. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Until next time, Horror Hounds. Mash on. Hope you enjoyed today's episode and you don't lose that spirit. Come back tomorrow for another of Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. Or Krampus will come for your soul. <laughs>
Uh, and then I scratched it out and, and put scholarly tome. But what are the people that buy this stuff? Where is your personal Idaho? And is it really just a bag of burning dog shit? And then I scratched that out and put little slice of heaven. <laughs> Dear Philip, here's that toilet paper you ordered. Just like you requested, it's been pre-shitted for your convenience. Please remember Mick Enterprises for all of your sick fetishy needs. God. Dear Joshua, my dog looks so cute sitting on the couch, licking his balls and making a real nutsack meal of it. And I thought it would be sweet to have him lick the cover of your book. <laughs> oh, man. Dear Willow, dear Willow, you Canadians with your health care and your amazing social services and your handsome, intelligent leader and beautiful forest. I only have one thing to say. Can I come shit at your house? <laughs> <laughs> oh, here, yeah, and I'll leave you with what I think is one of my best ones. Dear Jeff, I heard you play guitar, so I'll keep this simple. At best, this book is a three-chord jam with a shitty bridge and a 13-minute drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, I thought you'd like that one. <laughs> oh, God. That's for the that's for you musicians out there. Oh, man. So uh, I will come up with something for you, I'm sure. 